Hello, drive-in freaks and dancing hot dogs and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hull. And our guest today, uh, this is a real thrill, is an acclaimed filmmaker. Uh, She started out in the world of narrative, uh, writing, producing, and or directing such features as Layover and the wonderfully titled Killer Yacht Party. But she's since carved out a niche as a documentarian, uh, chronicling American moviegoing and filmmaking via such uh, films as Going Attractions, the definitive story of the American drive-in movie, Going Attractions, the definitive story of the movie palace, and Stunt Women, the untold Hollywood story, which is executive produced by Michelle Rodriguez. Her new documentary is titled Back to the Drive-In. It's out now in theaters and on demand. This is April Wright. Hi, April. Hey, I'm excited to talk to you guys about drive-ins and movies I love. <laughs> well, that's your you when I when this uh, the the email about this documentary came through my inbox and I was like, this is a perfect guest. This is someone we have to have on the show. Um, so let's 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 talk first and foremost about your new documentary, Back to the Drive-In. Um, sort of because it's fascinating to me because it really you don't hear about a lot of sequels in the world of documentary, but this is sort of a sequel. The 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 title uh, has kind of a double meaning because it's you're also going back to the drive-in. What brought about this sort of follow-up to your drive-in documentary, and what are you sort of tackling in this one? Yeah, I it is named Back to the Drive-In because I went back to the drive-in as a filmmaker. My first one that you mentioned in the opening was about the whole history of drive-ins. So it covered everything from the invention to the peak in the 50s and then all the ups and downs over the years, taking it up to the present day, which at the time was the threat of um, converting to a digital projector, which actually most drive-ins made that change over. We didn't lose a ton from that. Um, But I wanted to go back to the drive-in and get to know uh, more of the owners because from making my first documentary, I got to know some of them. And I realized that almost every drive-in that's still operating, their family run businesses, even if they're companies that have more than one drive-in, they're still family owned companies. So, um, and I also just wanted to pull back the curtain a little bit to show how much work goes into keeping a drive-in going and also how passionate they all are about, about keeping them alive for their communities, for, you know, they, they see their spot in the community, what they bring and the joy they bring to families and kids. And they feel like that's something really important to do. Um, so they're very determined. And then I wanted to make it before COVID hit, actually, I, Mm. uh, I had gone to the drive-in owners convention down in Florida in February of 2020, a month before COVID, and told oh, wow. them told them I wanted to do a follow-up. And um, it was kind of a funny conversation because a few of them were like, well, why would you want to cover our topic again? And I said, well, because there's drones now. And I was joking, but <laughs> wasn't joking at all. <laughs> because I, when I look at my original film, I think, man, if I had better cameras, if I had drones, I could have got <laughs> completely different shots. But I made that movie a while ago. It literally came out exactly 10 years ago. Um, oh, wow. So it's the 10 year anniversary of my first one. And, uh, and then when COVID hit, it kind of added a layer to the story. And that was the other reason I called it back to the driving because it wasn't just me going back as a filmmaker, but everyone kind of went back to the drive in and they had this little revival. Um, So I just wanted to show 
the families running it and the passion and all the work that goes into it. And the fact that, you know, if you want them to stick around, you need to get off your couch and go support them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, no, I, you know, I, I went back to the drive-in during COVID as well, as I know a lot of people did. Um, I, you know, I live in New York and when COVID started, it, I didn't have a car. It wasn't an option unless I wanted to, you know, take a cab to the drive-in, which, which I missed going to the movies, but not that much. Um, but I had to go back to Mike and I are originally from Wichita, Kansas. And I had to go back home that summer of 2020 to deal with a family estate situation. And my, our, the drive-in that's been there since we were little kids, uh, it was the landmark drive-in when we were kids, but now it's the Starlight drive-in. Uh, the Starlight drive-in gives you more. Call 524 Uh They were up and running and uh, and full and doing bang up business. And I was there for a week. April, I went twice in that week. Yeah. Um, and, and it was and, really... It and was... we almost lost that one because um, the, yeah. the, oh, the, yeah. the owner left uh, or passed away and that was uns unsure what was going to happen. And thankfully, another drive-in owner came in and took yeah. it over. And it's you're right. It's going strong. That's a very, yeah. very awesome drive-in. I've been by there a couple it's... times. It's great. Well, and, you know, I went I went twice in that week and it really it was like this triple layer cake of nostalgia because like on the first level, like I just I missed going to the movies. You know, it had been a few months. I missed it. I had the the the, the second layer of nostalgia of like this was the, the, the drive in I went to as a little kid, like where I fell in love with movies. And then the third layer was like like you talk about in the movie, the stuff they were showing were all movies from when from when I was a kid. Some of them were movies I saw at that drive in. Like I went mm -hmm. the first night and I saw um, Ghostbusters and Karate Kid. And then I went back later in the week and I saw uh, Back to the Future and Empire Strikes Back. Um, <laughs> so it's just, it was overwhelming to sort of like, to, to have this little, it was like going into a Back to a the time Future. Machine, it was like going right? into a yeah. time machine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because totally. there were hardly any new movies coming out. So the retro movies right. were the thing. And yeah, you get to step back in time for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. You know, and so I love that element of the movie, the sort of remembering that very specific moment in movie going when we were, when so many people were going. But the other thing that I, and, and of course, as a movie geek, I loved the sort of logistical, like just seeing how these places run is fascinating. You know, I was talking to Mike before you came on and like, he didn't realize, you know, it's been so long since he's been that they're, you know, that they broadcast over the, the radio now instead of on the, the shitty little speakers, you know, it's my like, car, my car uh, speakers are much better than that little box. I was like, that's brilliant. Is that really what they're doing? I had to back it up. I was like, say that again. It switched yeah, it to that is. in the early eighties. Oh, <laughs> yes, man. That's what I told well, them. I've definitely I said it's, been since they did that and just put it <laughs> yeah. out of my mind for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing that I, you know, that I wasn't expecting to, 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 to find in the movie was in a lot of ways, it's almost like a psychological study of just sort of different types of personalities that, you know, these are, this is, you, you go to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's 12 different drive-ins total? Mm -hmm. 11. 11 different ones, yeah. And you're you're dealing with that they have these commonalities of that they're in this line of business. A lot of them are family business, so forth. But there are also a wide. Some of them have been doing it for decades. Some you know bought it recently. Some just got it. 
it becomes a fascinating study in sort of in psychological in the in different personality types in the way that that different types of people react to being in this situation. Were you yeah. expecting to find that, or was that well, something that just sort of happened? Yeah, because they're they're pretty much all family businesses. We often say that drive-ins do take on the personality of the owner, and they're mm. you know they're entrepreneurs, and so they do have an opportunity to try different things and to cater to their area. I did try to pick different points of view, different cross section. Yeah. Like you said, I I picked drive-ins that are right in the city of Fort Worth and ones that are very rural, ones that are, you know, just opened, ones that have been around for years, owners that are newer, younger. Um, I tried to pick as many different factors as I could to get a cross section. And yeah. I thought they would really tell me different things. And even though they expressed them in different ways, they started all telling me the same things. They were all basically mm. in the same boat together. They all had the same exact issues. Um, so I realized more that, that they had more in common than different. Um, as soon as I got to like the fourth drive and I was like, everybody's telling me the same thing. <laughs> They're all having the same problems, but right. they all had the same passion. So I think you're right. That comes across in the film and yeah, you just get to see things you would never see visiting a drive-in as a customer. You know, the fact that they get there at two in the afternoon and they're there till, you know, 2am at least. So well, I've been working on a, a, a documentary about the end of the video store era and sort of, you know, how that impacted everybody. And it's like by the third store, you're like, this is the same interview I've done twice already. You know, it's <laughs> mom and pops, you know, for the most part are the only ones who have them now. They are, you know, driven by a love of community and a love of, of movies. And but they're all sort of bumping into the same problems. And it becomes a challenge of like, OK, sort of how am I? How am I going to sort of not repeat the same interview, you know, over and over through my yeah. movie? Um, yeah. And I got a lot of sort of feeling of that. And, yeah. you know, I think you do a good job of, of you know, the way you do it is, as Jason's saying, is is it sort of a psychological study of how people are dealing with this problem yeah. that they're all confronting? And I and I realized I think initially I thought it might be by topic, but then I realized each drive-in was kind of having its own mini arc. Like each one ended mm. up being about something, you know, unique. Like the Harvest Moon is about the family expanding through the daughter right. and the wife. And obviously um the Well Fleet in Cape Cod is about the fog. Is it gonna stop the show or what's gonna happen? The og, as he said, the F <laughs> the word. <laughs> yes, we can't say the F word, it's the og. But yeah, so I realized each had its own sort of separate arc that could dominate and then they had crossover. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I didn't set out to do it the way I did it, but that's what made sense once, once I was on the road. <laughs> Well, having spent so much time now on this topic and with, you know, at these drive-ins and talking to these people, what, and I know this is a big question, what do you think after all of this observation and sort of anthropology, what do you think will become of the drive-in? Do you think it's, it's going to hang in there? Do you think it's going to be around for a while? Or do you think we're, it's, it's, it's time is passing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been talking to everybody about that. I don't know, but I'm optimistic. I mean, the whole um, film industry, the exhibition piece of it in particular, is in a huge phase of transition. Um, yeah. You know, we were already getting streaming, but the pandemic sped that up, gave an opportunity for the studios to test the idea of what if we just send it straight to our streamer, what happens? And they got to do that. And I think most of them realized that the theatrical piece adds to the visibility and the value of the film in the long run. So yep. I think they've all learned that lesson. Um, so there are more movies releasing this summer and next summer will be even better. 
Um, but I, it is funny you just mentioned video stores because those were one of the factors that that hurt drive-ins that really caused their decline. And who would have thought drive-ins would outlast video stores? Right. <laughs> In a way, you know, like Blockbuster is gone. Totally. Except for one. Yeah. Um, but there's yeah. still about 300 drive-ins left. So that's kind of yeah. strange. Um, but yeah, I, I think in a couple of people in the movie say this, that drive-ins have a little bit of an advantage because they are, they are unique. They are community driven and they provide more than just a movie. It really is about a right. total experience, a whole evening out. You can interact with the people that you're with. It's just, and, and it's also in a really fun setting when you go to a drive-in, especially when you're a kid, it's magical. When you go in as, as an adult, it still is. I think there's something to the environment of the way they're designed, those huge screens, the big marquees that when you go there, you know, you're somewhere special. And so I think there's a little bit of an advantage that, you know, it's a place where you can create good memories. And, yeah. um, and so it's more than just seeing a movie. And, and so they have an advantage, but that being said, um, drive-ins are in transition as much as everything else we've seen in the last two years, more drive-ins closing or changing hands mm. than in the last 30 um, so wow. the total number is actually going down since the beginning of the pandemic. You know, you might think, oh, they got so much attention, yeah. they the number would go up. But no, the number's been going down. A lot of people have been getting out or selling their drive-ins or just closing. Um, so the total number's down right now, but I'm optimistic maybe in five years we'll see it go back up a little bit because there are yeah. old drive-ins reopening right now. And some people are even building new ones, as you see in my film. Um, so I'm a little optimistic at the outlook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope so. Um, it, it, cause it, it is, it's a, it's a one of a kind thing. It's fun to do. Um, and I'll tell you, I found myself, like I paused the movie at a certain point just to, to look, to look up how far away Greenville, New York is from the Bronx, because that looks like a good goddamn time that Greenville drive-in where they've got they the get a lot of people that drive up there from New York city. Yeah. yeah so yeah. That's, I'm going, yeah, you should check that one out. It is a good time. <laughs> I'm going, I'm definitely going. Well, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful movie. We'll plug it again at the end of the show, but the title again is back to the drive-in. You can see it in theaters. Uh, imagine that. And you can also see it on demand. Um, so April, what year are we going to talk about tonight and why? Okay, well, I picked 1980. And why? Which is, well, it's an ama <laughs> it's a fascinating year. It well, really, I'm sorry. I didn't I'll tell you what's funny what about you, what well, I'll like? tell you what's funny about my logic. So, I really think all the best films were in the 70s, okay? Mm -hmm. But all your all your 70s years were taken and then but then I also have a theory that I don't think decades change on the zero. I think decades change on the somewhere between the two year and the three year. Like we're mm -hmm. in the midst of a decade change right now. Like things after this right. year will be different than they were the last 10. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, in my theory, the seventies still go to like 82, 83. So that's when I started looking at those lists and I got on 1980 and I'm like, oh, there's some of my favorite movies that I've seen hundreds of times in this list. So that's why I picked 1980. Yeah, no, I agree <laughs> with that there. It, it's so seldom lines up cleanly. Uh, and, you know, and it could go the other way, too. Like, I think the first year of the 70s is 1967. So, you know, that's how it, that's how it <laughs> no, goes. See, you know, I think the I think the 60s go through like 72 and then Ooh, we get into the 70s. Yeah, I think the two, three. Check. Look into yeah. it, everybody. You know, maybe. <laughs> I will look into <laughs> it. I've been but studying I do, this. Yes, <laughs> that, that is I do love the, the 1980 because there are 
there are a lot of films, and we'll talk about them, that that really do feel like 70s movies. There are also a handful that really do sort of smell like like what the 80s were going to be, sort of a hint of of, of what was to come in that decade. So before we get into those, those favorite films of yours for that, uh, we want to take a look at, at what was happening outside of the drive-ins in the year 1980. Here's Mike with headlines. From ABC in New York, this is World News Tonight, Sunday, with Sam Donaldson. Good evening. The U.S. Embassy in Tehran has been invaded and occupied by Iranian students. The Americans inside have been taken prisoner, and according to a student spokesman, will be held as hostages until the deposed Shah is returned from the United States, where he's receiving medical treatment for cancer. Some reports say as many as 90 Americans may be involved. Others say as few as 35. A lot of the news in the U.S. in 1980 was international. The Iranian Revolution happened in 1979, and by 1980, people had overrun the U.S. embassy and taken dozens of hostages. Jimmy Carter was president and running for a second term against Ronald Reagan, who was essentially blaming Carter for the hostage situation. Uh, It was a bad scene. Yeah. And that went on all of 1980? Almost all of 1980. (laughs) Pretty much. It's like they released him shortly after they figured out Reagan had won. Which is hard to sort of, uh, it's very hard to explain, so I'm not even going to try. In April, we severed diplomatic relations with Iran and started economic sanctions. How'd that go? Well, you could ask (laughs) how it's going. So, there you go. That's how it went. Uh, Later, the same month was Operation Eagle Claw, when American Special Forces tried to rescue the hostages, but there were problems with the helicopters, and eight U.S. troops were killed. That, like, Carter also somehow got the blame for the specific... Um, sort of failings of this particular thing, and that pretty much sunk him for good until he became 90 years old and was still building charity houses, and people were like, see, he seems like a nice guy. But there was a long, (laughs) there was a long nadir for his reputation. Um, Zimbabwe took their independence from Britain, so that's good. And Robert Mugabe became their first president, so that's not... Oh, oh dear. Yeah. Yeah, two sides sides of that (laughs) coin. It's a real thin coin. Good evening. Three days after the eruption of Mount St. Helens in southwest Washington state, imponderables dust the air like volcanic ash. Ten persons are known dead, 71 are missing, and one estimate is that it will take more than $150 million just for road and bridge repair. It is an event that defies superlatives. One geologist said today, there is no record in geology in the last 4,000 years of anything like this happening before. The tremendous lateral blast is unprecedented. Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington, killing 57 people and causing $3 billion in damages. I can see it from where I live, and it's still flat. It has not I, th- become a pointed mountain again. One of the first things I was five years old and I turned five in nineteen. This is one of the first like news stories I remember. And like I remember my mom having to sit me down and explain to me that there were no volcanoes in Wichita, Kansas, <laughs> and I didn't have to worry. I did. I was a. I, I had a lot of neuroses as a kid. Sorry. Go ahead. Vigdis Finnbogatir was elected president of Iceland. She was the first woman. How long today? Elected. How long Let me they, finish her spend? fucking stat before we worry about her. I'm sorry. The pronunciation sorry. of her name. No. Go ahead. She Go was ahead. elected president of Iceland. She was the first woman democratically elected as the head of state in the, the modern political era. Vigdis Finbogad. I still fucked it up. So it doesn't matter how long <laughs> I tried. I still didn't get it right. 
All right. In July, Ronald Reagan was nominated for president by the Republican Party in the biggest win yet for the emerging political form of extreme Christianity. They also convinced the National Republican Party to drop their support for the Equal Rights Amendment. I did not know that the Republican Party was behind, supported the Equal Rights Amendment. The Fed, the National Party, I mean. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. I'm sort of assuming like it didn't pass like Barry Goldwater's Arizona or something. Right, right, right. Uh, The Iran-Iraq War started in 1980. Mm -hmm. That didn't work out very well for anybody involved. Nope. Uh, April 29th, Sir Alfred Hitchcock, known as the Master of Suspense, died at his home in Bel Air, California at the age of 80 after kicking fucking life's ass all day long. <laughs> right? I mean, who, who, he, that guy did all right. Like, you know, like, we yeah. can be sad and yeah. so on, like, but that guy did all right, huh? Yeah, yeah. A- April, do you have, what's your favorite Hitchcock? Hmm. Maybe Vertigo. Good call. Good uh, call. But I also love I'm... North by Northwest. Ooh, and I excellent. love And I love Rope, so... I don't know. It's very hard. There's so to many pick good one. ones. That's it's what makes it Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm a rear window man myself, but I I I falter on that occasionally. Mike, uh, what's your favorite Hitchcock? Whichever one my wife is watching today, she like she knows all of his movies inside and out, and like she convinces Fair. me every time a new one comes on that that's the best one. <laughs> so like I haven't actually been able to answer this question for ten right. years. Uh, June 9th, Richard Pryor set himself on fire while freebasing cocaine and drinking 151 proof rum. He ran down a street in North Ridge, California until he was subdued by police. It's a it's terrible story that he made a lot of fucking good jokes about. <laughs> sure did. Sure did. Um and uh, far be it for me to resist an opportunity to plug. The the book is called Richard Pryor, American Id by yours truly, Jason Bailey, available on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. I, I know I'm biased, but it's a great book. Thanks, buddy. We interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin from NBC News. Former Beatle John Lennon is dead. Lennon died in a hospital shortly after being shot outside his New York apartment tonight. A suspect is in custody but has not been identified. Again, John Lennon is dead tonight of gunshot wounds at the age of 40. We now return to The Tonight Show. And on December 8th, the last good celebrity, John Lennon, was murdered by an asshole. Don't care for that. name will not be repeated on this podcast. Fuck that guy. Yep. May 1st, the first time the word yuppie was used in print. You would know that. (laughs) Fucking yuppie. Pac-Man came out in 1980 and as far as I know is still the highest earning arcade game of all time. I assume there's some sort of a downloadable Xbox thing that has surpassed it. But for arcade games, the one that matters, Pac-Man is still the top. Do you know what the original name was? I do not. Puck-Man. I don't know why they changed it. Puck-Man is a great name. I I think maybe they like they were afraid we would assume it was like about hockey or something. I don't know. (laughs) He looks uh, like a puck. Also, That's why they called him that, right? Because yeah. he looks like a puck. See? Yep. This news service will be called the Cable News Network and will program continually updated half-hour segments of national news, business news, sports, and features 24 hours a day. I know that we will succeed, and I pledge to you that we will not let the American public down. We're really happy to be here at the start of something very special in television journalism. And we're happy that you're here with us to watch the news channel as the news goes on. Uh, in further uh, uh, birthing, debuting news, CNN was launched by certified lunatic Ted Turner. All right. 
News all day. Imagine that. Uh, some people were born that year, also, in addition to news channels and video games. Lin-Manuel Miranda, Zoe Deschanel, Jason Siegel, Nick Carter, the fourth best Backstreet Boy. I love that we're, like, eventually we're going to get your full ranking of ba- of the Backstreet Boys <laughs> vi- via the birth segments. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're going to, and when my, and when, if we ever get an in sync person, people are going to be mad when those <laughs> rankings come on. <laughs> Uh, Christina Ricci, Gucci Mane, Jesse Jane, and Macaulay Culkin were born in 1980. That's my dream blunt rotation for 1980 right there. Uh, Rebel Wilson, Laura Prepon, uh, the greatest soccer player of all time, Ronaldinho, don't fucking at me. Uh, Channing Tatum. I have no idea. Ellie Kemper. I know other people okay. do have an opinion right. on that, though. Uh, Sybil Kilkelly, who flipped a career in German porn into a scene-stealing Game of Thrones character. Okay. Uh, she was um, Tyrion's Tyrion's girlfriend for, Great. like, seasons one through five and was amazing. Great. Um, Venus Williams, Jessica Simpson, Kristen Bell, Michelle Kwan, Cece Sabathia, Chris Pine, Ryan Gosling, and Virgil Abloh was born in 1980. Right. Rest in peace. All right. In sports news, uh, Jesse Owens died. Shout out to Jesse Owens. Shout out. That guy probably gave ulcer, uh, uh, Hitler more ulcers than anybody else by just running around in circles. Yeah. So shout out to Jesse shout Owens. Shout out. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the L.A. Rams to win the Super Bowl. Uh, also in NFL news that year, the New Orleans Saints became the first team ever to go 1-15. All right. Ouch. The Phillies won their first MLB championship in 97 years of trying. Good year for Pennsylvania sports. Larry Holmes beat Muhammad Ali by knockout in what would be Ali's last world title fight. I have to mention Muhammad Ali every chance I get because he's the only athlete with so many movies about him that Jason actually has some sense of his career. The documentary about this one, because in to continue our running theme, every major Ali bout has a documentary, is called Muhammad and Larry. Uh, it was yep. shot at the time by Al Mazels. It was not made into a film at that time because it was so fucking sad because Ali clearly needed to not be fighting anymore. And then it was yep. assembled decades later into like an hour long documentary for 30 for 30. It's worth seeking out. It will break your heart, your heart, but it's also really good. Hmm. It's also, it's sort of the only time you've ever seen Muhammad Ali as like, not yeah. like a superhero. Yeah. Yeah, very fallible, you know, very Because human. he's a superhero yeah. everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. And watching him sort of having been a superhero for so long, yeah. you know, yeah, it's a heavy one. Watch Ali Bumbaye before this one. Like, this shouldn't be where you start yeah, no. your, Ali <laughs> your Ali doc search. But, Ali Bumbaye. Yeah. Um, also in boxing, 1980 was the famous No Mas fight between Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. Great fight. Uh, Jupe. Zoetta Milk won the Tour de France. I really only included that so I could say, say the name Jupe Zoetta Milk on, on our podcast. Jupe Zoetta Milk. It's fun. Yeah, that's my new hotel name. <laughs> uh, and finally, there was no World Cup, but there was an Olympics. The U.S. boycotted the 1980 Summer Olympics hosted by the Soviet Union, blaming the uh, their recent invasion of Afghanistan. Sure. Who knows what the story was behind that? Sure. I'm sure that was some bullshit. But we hosted the Winter Olympics at Lake Placid. This was the Olympics with the famous Miracle on Ice where a bunch of American riffraff. Yes, there is a movie There's a movie about it. it. I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> beat the best hockey team on earth, the Soviet Union. And we obviously haven't stopped talking about USA, it. Here we are. USA. USA. And that is Headlines in 1980. Thank you, Mike. Uh, and now, a word from our sponsor. Discover something new at the 52nd edition of New Directors New Films, presented by the Museum of Modern Art, heard of it, and Film at Lincoln Center, heard of that? (laughs) Very fancy. Yeah. 
From March 29th through April 9th, experience what Hyperallergic calls, quote, one of New York's most exciting film festivals, unquote. They're not wrong. With uh, 27 features and 11 shorts from 35 countries, immerse yourselves in new and emerging voices in cinema with prize-winning films from Cannes, Locarno, Sundance, and many feature debuts. Get tickets and learn more at newdirectors.org. All right, April, you ready to do a top five? I'm ready. All right, so we decided we're just we're just gonna we're gonna wing it on the order here. Where this is an unranked list, it's important to note. So uh, some of the some of the list aficionados out there, you cannot rank this one. This is this is just five movies that April Wright truly truly loves from the year of our Lord 1980. So April, what is your first? 1980 movie oh i thought you were gonna pick the order for me all right <laughs> <laughs> well okay let's start we started we were talking about alfred hitchcock and vertigo and um there's pretty much a copied scene in one of my favorites which is dressed to kill by brian de palma brian de palma invites you to a showing of the latest fashion in murder dressed to kill doctor i am not paranoid bobby has threatened me over the phone she said she was going to hurt me my patient was slashed to death and my razor's gone. There's all kinds of ways to get killed in this city, if you're looking for it. Dressed to kill. Murder. Made to order. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you, check newspapers for showtimes. Terrific, and I think that's, terrific movie. Yeah, and I think that scene is probably why I love that movie so much. Um, and I didn't see it till, I think, past college. I didn't see it till I was older. I didn't see it in 1980, of course. And yeah, obviously it pays homage to the uh, following um, of the woman in Vertigo. And um, yeah, I just, Brian De Palma is probably one of my favorite directors. I also like Hitchcock, sure. so that makes sense. De Palma likes sure. Hitchcock, obviously. <laughs> sure does. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I have so many favorites that are Brian De Palma films. Um, Carrie's one of my favorite films of all time. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just, I like, a lot of things visually that he experiments with like the split screen stuff i i really like and um he just knows how to create an environment and suspense and um yeah he, he's one of my favorite filmmakers so i discovered that like i said later in life um and there's things that you know maybe maybe would or wouldn't be controversial now because of the the <laughs> sure. villain the villainous character cross dresses um but wouldn't but, you wouldn't you i mean it seems like that was probably the bleeding edge of sort of white cis progressive male understanding of that conversation at the time right i mean it, the there's a sex worker who's one of the main characters and you see her like having a life mm -hmm. like just sort of being a person she's like investing in stocks at certain yeah. points yeah, exactly. like, oh, yeah. it's not just sort of a lurid you know right. and also she has a, a relationship that develops with a teenager yeah. who there's never a hint that they're gonna have right. sex yeah. she's never you know and and with the the transsexual stuff like there's a lot of time spent explaining I, i'm sure what i'm sure at that time was sort of a bleeding edge cis male understanding of this conversation yeah right yeah 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 it's it's tricky but it's fascinating really really and truly um and also the i, I one of the things that i think is sort of fascinating about this movie uh just from some of the reading that i've done about it is that 
the teen character that you mentioned played played really wonderfully by by Keith Gordon um is apparent you know you don't think of De Palma's um genre films as being particularly personal you know they're 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 very stylized like you mentioned his 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 camera work his 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 camera blocking his editing is you know second to none he's just a, a a terrific stylist but you tend to think that they are sort of exercises in style from what i understand that keith gordon character is very much based on him like that was really like that was brian de palma as a teenager he went through a whole thing where he like became convinced that his father was cheating on his mother so he was like spying on his father's office in much the way wow. that the kid is in the movie I, there's like, a de palma he, documentary and he, I, yes. that in there is yes, that, it is. I feel You're like right. I heard that yes. information too. And I'll tell you yes. the other funny thing though is that I saw Dress to Kill first before I'd seen any Hitchcock films. So then when oh, I wow. when I saw Vertigo, I saw a double feature of Vertigo and North by Northwest in an old movie palace in Palo uh, Alto, California at the Stanford Theater. And and so I saw those uh, two both restored um on a big screen and then i knew then i understood what people kept talking about the, so i liked to palma first and then i got deep into hitchcock so yeah 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 no it's a it's it's a fun it's you know which seems strange to say for a movie that's this gory and this sort of scary but it's a really he's having a great time making a scary movie and nancy allen who was i believe his wife at the time yeah like you're right mike that's a it's a wonderful role he you know he takes he takes and she plays the quote unquote hooker with a heart of gold with real dimension and, and real affection. And I just, I also and just like Angie Nancy Dickinson Allen. was police woman uh, when I was a kid and yes. just seeing her in a role like that. And obviously she had a huge career way before police woman. She was a yes. huge actress, but, sure. um, but yeah, just seeing her in a role like that was really awesome too. Yep. 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 All right. Great pick. All right. April Wright, what is your number two movie for 1980? All right. Going to go a different direction. The Blues Brothers. John Belushi, Jake Blue. One through party in the county jail. Dan Aykroyd, Elwood Blues, The Blues Brothers. They smell bad. You're such a disappointing pair. Incontemptible pig. He better pray the police get to him before we do. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, The Blues Brothers, a musical comedy rated R. Now play at a theater near you. Yes. <laughs> yes. The first feature film Good choice. based on characters from Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. and, and still maybe the best one, too. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm also... Definitely the best music of any Saturday Night Live movie to this day. Yes. Yeah, I'm also um, a big John Landis fan. Um, his, mm. his list of great films, you know, Blues Brothers and Coming to America and um, Animal House. Animal House, of course. Yeah. Trading House places. Is great. Trading yeah. places. Yeah. It's just like you don't make that many great films that stand the test of time by accident. He, he knows what right. he's doing. He he kind of got a bad situation that that uh, hurt him in the business with the Twilight Zone movie, but I think he's an exceptional filmmaker. He and also um, the Blues Brothers. Since I'm from Chicago, um, this hey, I hey. this I did see as a little kid because everybody was like, sure. "This is a Chicago film," and everybody went to see it, and no matter how old <laughs> sure. you were. And um, the car chase sequence in it is awesome. Um, one of the best car wait, chase wait, sequences of gonna... all time. 
You got to narrow that down. There are like three great ones in it. The Which one through one? the shopping mall. Hell yes. Hell yes. <laughs> Kills. Kills. Oh, um, so the, the music, like you said, all the cameos in it, you know, so it yeah. just, when I was a little kid, we, we didn't really have, we grew up outside of Chicago. We didn't really have air, an air conditioned house. We had one air conditioner that you'd put in a window and yep. um and we'd pull up all our, all the furniture out of it, pull up all of our mattresses in it, and kind of sit and sit in there during the summer when it got into those really hot yep. months. So there were a lot of movies that we would just go to the movie theater to be in the air conditioning. And so even though I was sure. a little kid, that summer Blues Brothers came out. I probably saw it, you know, seven eight times at least. Wow. We kept going back to see it. <laughs> wow. So um, formative. Yes. So we saw, we saw it many, many times. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I was, again, you know, I was, I was five years old in 1980. So I don't think I saw this one in the theater, but you know, we had HBO when I was very young. This one, I just remember being in very heavy rotation on HBO and seeing a lot as a kid. And like, what I think is great about it now, like sort of understanding it in the history of movies and of music is that like, there so many of these great blues and R&B musicians in it were not having a great, like, you know, the early 80s were not a great time for them. The late 70s, they were not selling records the way that they had. And the fact that, like, you know, Belushi and Aykroyd had so much affection for this music that they created this, you know, this musical vehicle where the, where where Aretha and James Brown and Ray Charles and all of these incredible musicians, like, got this spotlight got like five minutes of a yeah. major studio movie to do their thing. And really like you can track, like it boosted all of yeah. their careers and was the first time that I think a lot of us who were young saw these. And appreciate, could appreciate that. that those musicians and that music. Yeah. I think it built totally for, for everybody who saw it for me, for sure. For my brother, my whole family just really built an appreciation for that type of music and for those musicians. Absolutely. John Candy yeah. was in it. Oh yeah, John Candy is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's also you take. I mean, those those songs were all sort of like maybe you'd hear them on you know a particular type of oldie station, right? But that station's probably playing like Buddy Holly more than mm -hmm. Sam Cooke or somebody. Yeah. So not only are you yeah. sort of like putting their music in the movie, but it's fucking fun. Everybody's having fun. It's hilarious all mm -hmm. over the place. Like the it James looks... Brown sequence in the church, like that's just amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Like you want to be in the room while those things are happening. Yeah. So it really was sort of more than just like, oh, we got a, a great sort of Motown soundtrack. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> it's just a great movie. It holds up. I mean, it definitely feels of the era, but it also holds up. So, yeah, no, I agree. And then now I think historically it's 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 even more valuable because it's like there there isn't that much footage out there of James Brown in his prime of Aretha in her prime like that, that whatever that five minutes uh, of her doing, you better think in the diner, like mm -hmm. that might be the best Aretha <laughs> footage that there is. And I'm so glad that we have it. I'm so glad that it yeah. exists. Yeah. So, all right. Well, on that note, let's, uh, let's, let's hear what your pick is for number three for okay, night. Number three. I'm going to shift gears again. Urban cowboy. He rides a mechanical bull instead of a horse. He punches a time clock instead of cattle. But inside, he's a cowboy. And he proves it every night in the biggest honky-tonk in the country. 
you a real cowboy? The devil's in the house of the rising sun. Well, it depends on what you think a real cowboy is. John Travolta, Urban Cowboy, rated PG. Starts Wednesday at the Empire Theater in Grand Forks. Now, I, I, this is the one that I saw latest. I saw most of these, if not then, but then around then. I didn't see Urban Cowboy until, I don't know, two or three years ago um, when it came out on Blu-ray. So I, I have spe- very specific thoughts about what I like about it. But tell me first what, what it is that you love about Urban Cowboy. For me, it was probably one of the first like adult movies that I saw, mm. even though I was really young, because there was such a phenomenon around John Travolta. And I, of course, had not seen Saturday Night Fever. I didn't see that till right. I was in college or later. But for yep. some reason, Urban Cowboy was like country John Travolta. So it seemed like, you know, it wouldn't be that adult, but it was totally yeah. about the, you know, a, a relationship. <laughs> um, but it's rated PG. That's what was shocked me. I re- I rewatched it for the show. And as I was putting the disc in, I was like, wait, this is a PG. I, j- I, I yes. remembered it being very grown up. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And just Scott Glenn is the villain. He's so great. And even though I was really young, I was able to like appreciate what he was doing and how good he was mm. as the villain character. Mm-hmm. The cast is just, I think I probably... As, as somebody who ended up being a filmmaker, I probably just really loved the cast because, yeah, Scott yeah. Glenn is great. Travolta is great. Deborah Winger is amazing. You know, amazing. she she was, you know, in that an officer and a gentleman not too long after this. And, yep. um, you know, just, um, you know, she she was the top actress of, of that era. So, um, yeah, I just I kind of snuck in to see it when I was way too young. Um <laughs> But um, me and a girl, me and one of my girlfriends, we stuck, snuck in to see it because we just, you know, somehow needed to get in on this John Travolta phenomenon, even though we were way underage. <laughs> but um, no. yeah, so it just kind of left an impression on me. And I think also from a music standpoint, it is also a slice of time musically for the same reason we were just talking about the Blues Brothers. Yeah. That there totally. were so many wonderful country artists that had music on that album, and it, and the album is still good today. Um, you know, just everything from Charlie Daniels Band to Mickey Gilly, who owned Gillies, and also just capturing yeah. Gillies in that sort of you know slice of time. I, I think it holds up. I think it's a very emotional movie. I think all the I think all the performances in it are what I love the best really strong yeah well first of all the gillies aspect yes like i look you know i did some googling after i watched it and i was like that like blew my mind like Like, that that was was real real, yeah that was a real that's like that's that's (laughs) almost like documentary footage in gillies it's like wow that that joint was something Uh, you know what what really struck me about it when i when just watching it recently and sort of you know from from this perspective i too i didn't see saturday night fever until much later until much after it came out and you know we had staying alive this sort of much maligned saturday night uh saturday night fever sequel i feel like this movie is almost more even though it's different characters it feels more like uh like the follow-up to saturday night fever in a lot of ways more it's certainly closer in tone in style the story is not dissimilar i think quite purposefully the family stuff with his family at the beginning feels a lot like the country version of the family stuff in saturday night fever and you know and and then it's like yeah it's you know he's basically playing the country version of that guy you're kind of right i never really thought about that but i think i knew it i think i knew that somehow deep but i hadn't really analyzed it but i think you're right (laughs) 
<laughs> it really jumped. I had just watched, you know, when I saw it, I had just written my book about New York movies. So I'd watched Saturday Night Fever a few times mm-hmm. um, and it really jumped out. Except I got to be real honest with you. I think I might prefer it to Saturday Night Fever just a little bit for, for the main reason being Deborah Winger. Like the women in Saturday Night Fever are are so sort of one dimensional mm-hmm. and 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 flat and and they don't you know, the, they're not written with any real um we're any real juice to them and this character is complicated and messy and mm-hmm. Deborah Winger you're right is just phenomenal in this movie she's so good mm-hmm. yeah I would agree yeah. with you on that all right what is our number four out of five for mm-hmm. 1980 April right okay this is a weird one but my family can back me up Superman 2 the three villains from Krypton have taken over the White House now, kneel before thought. Metropolis is almost in ruins. And Superman has lost his powers. Or has he? As the adventure continues in Superman 2, rated PG. Now play. Check newspapers for local listing. There is nothing weird about loving <laughs> Superman 2. I got your back and on Superman 2. I might have seen it as a kid. I'm not sure I remember. I remember seeing mm. it later. And um, for me, between the the original and the second Superman, I like the second one. I like Superman 2 a little bit more than the first one. And... I'll tell you why. There's a few reasons. First off, okay. I just really loved the villains because the first yes. one, obviously, they're they're in the I forget what you call the thing where they were. <laughs> the, I don't even remember what it's called. The you know the mirror yeah. thing, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the flying mirror thing. Yes. Yeah, there's a name for it. <laughs> I'm not a comic book right. guy, I but yes, right I know what you mean. But yes. I loved that the second movie they escaped because the beginning mm. of the. Of the for Superman, you see that they get banished and then that the, the, the something that Superman does explodes that and causes right. them to escape. Like, I just liked how that all tied in. I was like, oh, that's just really amazing. I was really fascinated with Niagara Falls for some reason and the fact that oh, they yeah. went there and yeah. had the whole sequence That's a there. great scene, yeah. Um, I was just like, yay, Niagara Falls. <laughs> um, and then just the fact that he was willing to lose his power for Lois Lane, and you're like, no, why Why would you do right. that? Did people right. really like Margot Kidder? Like, did they seem right <laughs> together? I, I didn't think they did. I didn't understand that. I'm like, why would he let go of his power for Lois Lane? Like, that didn't make any sense to me. Now, I'll tell you something funny. Later in life, I got a boyfriend who was obsessed with Margot Kidder. She was like his favorite mm-hmm. of all time. We could not understand mm-hmm. it, but he just loved <laughs> Margot Kidder. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe I played that wrong. Maybe yep. maybe Superman just really needed Margot Kidder. But it, that was so traumatizing for me that he would give mm-hmm. up his power and then he was getting beat up. And you can tell I saw this one as a kid because I, you know. Definitely. Uh, cause I have all these like kid, kid emotions about it, but yeah, it, it was, it just really emotionally hit me that one for some reason. And yeah, when I watch yeah. it today, I still, I still love it. I mean, the visual effects are, are pretty good, but, um, yeah, it's just got a bunch of weird, weird things about it that I just liked. And then, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, the, the, the sentiment that it was, that it was, um, 
you know, a, a better film than the first one was not uncommon when it came out. I think, you know, history has sort of lionized the original quite a bit. But at the time, the thing that I that I remember seeing in reviews even was that the first one had to spend so much time setting the table. With the setup, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's so much of that movie that's, you know, and they paid Marlon Brando all that money, so they got to use all his scenes, you know, and there's just, it takes so kind of long to get going. But as a result, when the second one starts, it goes. Like, they are off and running, and it is it is nonstop, and it's an all-around sparkling entertainment, and it's it's exciting, and it's romantic, and it's funny. Mm-hmm. And Richard Lester, you know, again, there's there's been this sort of uh, conventional wisdom that, you know, because Richard Donner did the first one, and Richard Lester took over the second yeah, one. Yeah, right, right. In, in progress, and, you know, and there's some shade around that and so forth, and people have, you know... Richard Lester has, I think, sort of gotten this, the short end of the stick on that. Like, we we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. We had Frank Conniff on, and we did 1964. And, you know, this is the guy who directed A Hard Day's Night. Like, Richard Lester was not some hack, you know, was mm-hmm. was not some, some stu- you know, some some studio uh, schmuck. Well, they He's did a the Richard Donner cut later. Like, that came yes. out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have you seen that? Because I, ha- I, f- I have not gotten around to it. I think I did, but... Like they weren't different enough for me to just be like, oh, wow, he was right. like, I didn't have that emotion. I was just like, okay, two different versions of something pretty similar, I think was how I responded to it. But anyway, it's just a fun movie. And, you know, of all the comic book movies, even though, you know, some of the effects are definitely dated. Um, Gene Hackman um, is still great in it as Lex Luthor. That level of sort of what is even the right word for for Hackman in that movie? It's like that level of sort of bombast. Yes. And sort of, you know, just very rarely works in a movie. You know what I mean? Like, movie, you know, the mm-hmm. whole, the, the easy concept about sort of, you know, on stage you take it bigger, on film you take it smaller. Right. You know, that level of just arrogance and just... It usually just comes across as clownish, but somehow, man, he... he well, in the, in the so beginning, how they escape from prison because they have a hologram image yes. of themselves. Like, the, just the details in the plot I really loved in the, in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a blast. It's a blast. All right, we've we've reached the end of the list. April Wright, what is your your fifth and final favorite movie for 1980? Yeah, so I had to go with one of my all-time favorite movies on any list and that's The Shining. <laughs> Shining, a masterpiece of modern horror, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, rated R, opens Friday, June 13. Check newspapers for local listings. Yay! Yay! Stanley Kubrick uh, adapting controversially the Stephen King bestseller. Uh, tell, Tell us what you love so much about The Shining. Um, well, also something I didn't watch until I was like college or later. Um, mm. And I just I I just love it. I love all the performances in it. Um, yep. It's just scary. It's creepy. Um, uh, yeah, just the the whole evolution that that Jack Nicholson goes through as that character. Um, it's probably one of his best performances, the location um, of mm. it at the hotel, the of course, the 
um the, you know the elevators with the blood the the creepy uh little girls mm. like there's just so many things it's classic i'm not the only one who thinks so um but i'll tell you what's funny um part of the setup for it for me when i was a little kid of course i couldn't see it but there were ads for movies in newspapers and i mm -hmm. just remember so much loving the ad for the shining which i think was jack nicholson's face by the door and i was yep. like obsessed with it i wanted to see that movie so badly i don't know yeah. why i just yeah. loved that ad it was so creepy it was so compelling to me i wanted to see it i was not allowed to see it of course but um but yeah so then when i finally saw it as an, an adult i was just like oh okay here's what the big that deal lives was. up to the poster and it lived up to it exactly. <laughs> Boy, that it. was the whole thing <laughs> but yeah. yeah so yeah i love the shining i i just like the music the beginning of it the way the credits mm -hmm. roll in the beginning and draw you into it um because that's an unusual way to start a movie um yeah it's just i've watched all the makings of the shining i've watched the documentary about room 237 and i've oh, watched yeah. all the good. yeah so so yeah it's just um Okay, know, but have you watched the Stephen King Presents TV movie version of The Shining? Does everybody <laughs> no. know he hates this movie? Do people know, know that? He it's hates wild. this movie. It's wild how much he hates this movie. And it's insane how much he hates this movie. The way he described it is he said, he said it's very cold, it's very distant. Like, okay, fair. But like, have you seen it? And? Did you write it? Uh, and yeah. he also says that the Duval, the Shelley Duvall character is one of the most misogynistic things that has ever been put on screen, that she's only there to scream and be stupid and like nag him, like as if the na as if it's presented that the nagging is what drives him insane. Wow. Mm. But he did he did EP a, a TV movie version uh, starring the guy who was in the, the romantic comedy Wings. Yep the sitcom yeah. i took that i took i took that for the i took that one for the the very good year team uh-huh uh it, it looks like a very early uh, uh episode of law and order it's terrible <laughs> i love the fact that like an image was what drew you into it because there are so many images in it that are just like seared into your into the brain like into the collective we talk at risk of sounding highfalutin about like a collective subconscious, but like anybody who has seen this movie, who is a movie lover, like there are images in this movie that are just never going to leave your brain. Um, it's, it's just extraordinarily well-made. And as many times I've seen it, I still think, I don't know if he ever actually was the caretaker or what that whole mind game yes. is. <laughs> Cause then there's, he's in that old picture. So maybe, yeah. you know, like it's, yeah. it's all, it's all as many times as I've tried to watch it and decipher, but that's part of what I love. Yeah, I agree. Is that I still don't understand all the pieces of it as many times as I've seen yeah. it. I will say this, but before we close out, you know, I'm look, here's the thing. I'm not defending his behavior in the movie, Jack Torrance's behavior. All I'm saying is sometimes you just need to write and you just need people to leave you alone <laughs> while you write. That's all I'm saying. I'm not defending what mm -hmm. he did. I'm not defending what he did. I'm just saying mm -hmm. we've all been trying to write and people won't leave you alone. Okay, April, thank you so much for this wonderful top five list. Um, however, there, there were a lot of other movies out there in 1980, so let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me, oh yeah, sell out with me tonight. The record company's only kidding. 
Best Picture, Best Director to Robert Redford, Best Supporting Actor to Timothy Hutton, and all of those same awards at the Golden Globes for drama, mm-hmm. Ordinary People. Yeah. April, where do you land on Ordinary People? I know it was a big one. I didn't see it until way later. I didn't, same. I didn't dislike it, but it's not my kind of movie. I think you can guess you by that list I just gave you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't discount a... the, the, the tone of it. And, sure. you know, it's an important story. It's definitely well acted. I don't disagree with the awards, but it it's not something I want to watch over and over. Fair enough. It's no dress what to else? kill. There you uh, go. Best actor went to Robert De Niro for Raging Bull. The famously methodized stop the movie for six, eight weeks while I eat my way through Italy and France performance of uh, Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. Uh, April, thoughts on that particular motion picture? I know it's one of the best. I know his performance is one of the best. I don't disagree with that. But again, it's just not my thing. You know, I'm not like, uh, yeah, I I, I like it. I like it as a film. I didn't watch it until maybe eight or 10 years ago. It took me a while because it's like black and white boxing movie. It just, it, there wasn't anything to like make make me other than knowing that it's a great movie. There mm-hmm. wasn't anything. To, and there were a lot of great movies on my list that I caught up with like later in life. And that was one yeah. of them. Yeah, it's 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 an extraordinary piece of filmmaking. It is yes. not a fun. It's not a fun sit. It's it is hard to spend two hours with Jake LaMotta. Mike, what yeah. else? Best actress went to Sissy Spacek. Same award at the Golden Globes for Coal Miner's Daughter, which is one that I am ashamed to say has been on my my to watch list for for the better part of a decade now. I've not seen Coal Miner's Daughter. That's the Loretta April. Lynn. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, biopic, biopic. Isn't it? I think yeah. I yeah. watched it the first time a couple of years ago, but it didn't really sit with me other than like, okay, now I've watched it. <laughs> there you go. She was a very big deal uh, in for some of the uh, older members of my family, uh, Miss Loretta Lynn. So there this was go. one of the only movies that a grand something in my family was like, you need to watch this movie. You know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. this is, I think, sort I of. I can't trying... dispute any of the performances. They are great performances, yeah. great movies. It's just what you connect yep. with. Yep. It was just like my grandmother connected with it, like in a little too personal a way. I was like, "Damn, <laughs> what stories have I never heard? Uh, uh, best supporting actress went to Mary Steenburgen and best original screenplay to Bo Goldman for Melvin and Howard. I love Melvin and Howard. Never Jonathan seen it. Demi- Great movie. Great movie. Okay. What else, Mike? Wait, it's Jonathan Demi. I need to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. It's it's really quirky and strange and not what See, you that's one I've never seen. All right, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna watch that. Yay! Best score and best song went to fame. I'm gonna live forever. <laughs> I'm gonna learn how to fly. <laughs> How'd that work out? <laughs> eh, you know. Um, I saw fame for the first time for the New York book and at the, at the intense prodding of a friend, like when I told her I was writing a New York book, she's like, are you going to, is fame going to be in there? And I was like, I've never seen fame. That's a really weird first one to go to. She prodded <laughs> me for like a year and a half until I watched it. It's a great movie. Fame is a, is a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah. It's a point, point in time movie for sure. Definitely, it definitely captures definitely. that, that moment. Yep. Some other big award winners that year uh, tied for the Venice Film Festival's Golden Bear were Atlantic City and Gloria. That's a hell of a double feature right there. Louis wow. Mills, Atlantic City and John Cassavetti's Gloria. Both both really fine films, um, in, in my humble opinion. I my One of my deepest, darkest 
uh, cinephile secrets is that Gloria is my favorite John Cassavetes movie, mm. um, which is you're not supposed to think because it's like his sort of like it's kind of a genre movie. It's sort of a sellout movie. It's like it's a studio movie that's, you know, sort of uh, easily marketable, whatever. It's it's great. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, and Atlantic, and Atlantic City is Susan Sarandon, right? Susan Sarandon, amazing Susan Sarandon performance, amazing Burt Lancaster performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louis Maul, really, really like uh, evocative, atmospheric, really feels like that city at that specific moment. Yeah. Another tie for the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Uh, apparently, people are having a hard time making decisions in 1980. <laughs> Kurosawa's Kagamusha and All That Jazz. Yeah, All That Jazz came out in 79, but it was in the 1980 Cannes Film Festival, and then it tied with uh, with Kajimusha, which is one of the Kurosawas. Uh, that's a blind spot for me. It's good, but it doesn't right. need to be your first. But it's okay, good. fair enough. All right. uh, Golden Globe for Best Picture Comedy Musical went to Coal Miner's Daughter. A little yep. harder on the musical than the comedy on that <laughs> one, I'm going to say. It can, it, yeah, one or the other, sometimes, sometimes really clearly one or the other. <laughs> Best actor in a drama went to Ray Sharkey for The Idol Maker. All right. Never seen it. Never, Never seen it. <laughs> it's a weird, it's like the the only time that, that De Niro did not get best actor that year was the Golden Globe for for uh, for best actor in a drama went to The Idol Maker. I'm just going to assume that it's a whole movie of him sitting on a porch whittling. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the New York Film Critics Circle Award for best film went to Ordinary People. And the L.A. Film Critics uh, Association Award for Best Film went to Raging Bull. So it pain pains me to to say that the the the, the L.A. critics were were more right than the New York critic film film critic circle <laughs> an associate uh, an organization that I belong to got it wrong that year. All right, off we go. Domestic box office. Domestic box office. Were people watching any of these movies? Number 10 was the Blues Brothers. Hell hey, yeah, baby. There Number we go. 10 for the year. Yeah. That's all. That's that warms my uh that warms my my heart. Uh number nine was the Blue Lagoon. Because you'll <laughs> always make money on borderline pedophilia. Um April, have you seen the Blue Lagoon? I'm not sure I ever have. I've I'm sure I've seen parts of it. <laughs> it's quite oh, uncomfortable. We've all seen parts of it. All right. <laughs> uh, number eight, Smokey and the Bandit 2. A lovely <laughs> yeah. movie. Didn't uh, need to be in the award ceremony running. I love the running, first Smokey and the Bandit. But a lovely movie. I do too. I, <laughs> yeah. I've, I, I quite enjoy the first one. I yep. have not seen the second one, I will confess. It's not as good as the first one, but if you love the first one, you will definitely be able to finish the second one. There That's you go. That's where, you know. Yeah. Right. Number seven, went to Coal Miner's Daughter. Well deserved. Number six, Private Benjamin. Hmm. that's Yay! a funny movie private benjamin is a funny ass movie mostly yes. the first half like the basic training like i think we all sort of edit that movie in our brain to where the whole movie is like the first <laughs> half but it's still it's a really good first half if memory yeah i think i saw that also for the first time in the last three years or so um yeah, it's good it's it was fun. funny yeah, i could see what yeah. it was but it just never attracted me at the time yeah yeah and Holy- like Goldie Hawn is like, I mean, that was that was the first time that I was sort of like, oh, that's how she had such a long career. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And who's you know? the like, sergeant, the Elaine? Oh, God, Eileen Brennan. Eileen yes. Brennan got an Oscar nomination for Private Benjamin. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's not forget that you can nominate people for Oscars for great comedic performances. Yeah. Like, God bless her. <laughs> Number five, any which way you can. 
Okay, indefensible. Please move on. <laughs> Copy that. Number People four. Clint. <laughs> People did. They really loved him Is with a monkey. With the monkey? Yeah. That's yeah. one of the two with a monkey. That's okay. the sequel. That's the second Clinton a monkey movie. All right. Yeah. 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 Snow yeah. Smokey and the Bandit. Uh yeah. number four, yeah. Airplane. With the exclamation point. That's a funny, that's a great great movie. Oh, God, I love yeah. God, I love Airplane. Yes. Number three, even better, stir crazy. Yeah. I disagree that that's even better. <laughs> I, I, as the Richard Pryor guy, the guy who wrote a book, Stir Crazy, it's not as good as you remember it being, Mike. I promise you. When was the last time you watched Stir Crazy? Uh, I've watched highlights. Is that the one yeah. with the train that comes in? No, that's Silver Street. That's which Silver is genuinely Street. Great. Okay, so Stir the... Crazy is the prison one. That's right. sudden, like there's no jokes in the, the last Pryor, hour. Gene Wilder combo. Yes. 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 Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. But like the whole Silver Street's better. Silver Streak's way better. The second half of Stir Crazy is just like prison escape, prison rodeo stuff. There's no jokes in the second half of the movie. Okay. Yeah, sorry. you're right. They were like trying to do a thing and it didn't really they work. They were. But they were but famous. People, oh, they, they the made money. a lot of money. Oh, well, yeah. and that honestly, it sounds a little bleak, but that movie also made a whole lot of money because like Richard had just almost died. And people were like, let's go see Richard's Gene Wilder movie because since he didn't die, we hope he doesn't mm-hmm. die. Let's go see Stir Crazy. All right. Which is where those news facts come into play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it worked. Exactly. Number three exactly. on the list. Yeah. Number two. Good movie. Nine to five. Love Great nine movie. to five. Oh. Yeah. Funny yeah. as shit. Still all funny. of them yeah. are still funny, still relevant, yeah. mm-hmm. still smart. All of them are so great together. Where Dolly were those Parton's... actress nominations? Okay. <laughs> Dolly Parton's first movie. Like, that's what blows my mind. That was her Killed. film mm-hmm. debut. Crushed Killed it. it. Yep. Out of the gate. Yep. In a wig right. that's like six inches off her head. And now, like, two out of yeah. three of them are in yeah. Lady yep. for Brady yep. now, yep. right? Staying busy. And number one, this will be the least surprising thing anybody's heard all week. Sure. The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Pew, pew, popcorn. pew, 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 good, pew, 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 Good popcorn filmmaking. Yeah. Good. <laughs> best Star Wars movie still. That's one probably. of the best Star Wars movies. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Good one. All right. April, you ready for a lightning round? Sure. All right, so here's what we, I have a long list of other 1980 movies. Uh, I'm just going to hit you with some titles. Uh, tell me what you thought of it. If you have things to say, you can always pass if you didn't see mm-hmm. it or you don't have anything to say about it. And we're going to put five minutes on the big clock, and here we go. American Gigolo. Oh, this was on my no, the sixth on my list. I think it's one yeah. of the best Richard Gere. Um, yep. between that and an officer and a gentleman he got on the map and of course the Giorgio Moroder music and the Blondie music and it, I mm-hmm. kind of put it with Dress to Kill that there were sort of these sexual thrillers kind of happening in yep. that era and there were a bunch more of them too and I like most of them so I kind of put those together and I'm a Richard Gere fan so I, I and I didn't see it till later way 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 later um, but yeah it's definitely got a mood to it yeah Another movie in 1980 with a similar mood, a similar sex movie, was Cruising from William Friedkin. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen it. I know it got panned and then some people like it. I remember seeing it and it didn't really hit me either way. Um, I, I saw it maybe four or five years ago and I was just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
another big comedy for 1980, Caddyshack, uh, the the directorial debut of Harold Ramis. Yeah, that was the honorable mention on my list. <laughs> that was I another love one. Caddyshack. Yeah, that was another one. Somehow I, I was with some cousins or relatives in Florida when I was way too young to see it. We went to see it. Yeah, I don't think I got hardly any of the jokes. That's a good like my older cousin introduced that. That's right? a perfect yes. movie for the, an older cousin to yeah. put you on to. That you just yeah. go yes. with some some relatives in, on vacation in Florida and then you see that. Yeah. So I remember seeing it and then I remember thinking certain things were funny, but then I remember thinking other things were funny when I saw it later. And it's yes. definitely in my rotation. Some of those, you know, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase in it, they're definitely at the prime of, of their, yes. their comedy and, um, and uh, 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 Ted, Ted, um, ah, what's his name? Ted Knight. Ted Knight. Ted Knight. Thank you. Um, yeah. he's just perfect in it. Rodney Dangerfield. Yep. It just hold. it just makes me laugh every time. I love that movie. Yeah. That's another one I, I watch all the time. I also saw it way too young because it was in heavy HBO rotation, did not get a lot of it. But man, when you're six years old, nothing's funnier than that uh chocolate bar in the pool scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh Holds another <laughs> another raucous 1980 comedy. Robert Zemeckis's used cars was released this year. I that's another one I saw maybe four or five years ago for the first time. I love the cast. I was entertained, but I was, I, I didn't love it, but I was glad I saw it. Like I could appreciate it in film chronology. Yes. Another very good cast. Robert Altman's Popeye was released in 1980, a movie I first saw at the drive-in. Oh, wow. I'm down to applause Popeye. I hate, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> My brother and sister, I did see it as a little kid. My brother and sister liked it. It just... I don't know. I like the Popeye cartoon. Uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I like saw it. it as a kid and loved it. And like by the time I understood that most people actually don't like it, it was already a part of per my personality. Like I couldn't let it go. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. All right. I got a good run of dry, a very drive-in movies for you now for 1980. John Carpenter's The Fog was released in 1980. Big John Carpenter fan. Didn't see it till later, but yeah, I love The Fog. Uh, perhaps the most influential movie on this entire list, Friday the 13th. The first one came out in 1980. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't see that until years later. Um, I think the first Friday the 13th, same Possibly the same relatives, actually, now that I think about it. We were in Florida, and we saw Friday the 13th, part 3, 3D, my oh, uncle wow. took us to, and we were way too young for it. And then he stood outside the window all night going, choo, 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 <laughs> trying to scare us. Um, so I didn't circle back to this one until, like, after college. Um, but, yeah, I love it. You're right. It, it, it's smart because of who the killer really is. And, yes. um, and obviously, it started a million things. So, yeah, I, I, li I like the first Friday the 13th. Yep. Another Friday the 13th, very, very in, uh, directly inspired by Halloween. Another Halloween inspiration, Prom Night, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, was released in 1980. I still don't think I've seen that one. Like, there's no reason why I shouldn't see it. I like <laughs> horror. I like Halloween. I just don't know why I never yep. have. I need to see that one. Alligator came out in 1980, starring Robert Forrester. <laughs> You're definitely getting a drive-in lineup now. <laughs> I've seen these movies because I've made movies about drive-ins. I've seen these in like newspaper ads and on drive-in oh, yep. marquees and yep. stuff. But no, I have not seen any of these, but I'm writing them all down. Ow. 
Because there's alligator nothing wrong with rules. a good Jaws knockoff drive-in movie, <laughs> alligator, right? So. Alligator is so good because John Sayles wrote it. Like, that was one yeah. of his, like, paycheck movies. I'm probably Alli- missing out, but yeah, so I'm going to look smart. for these now. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> a really bleak year for the movie musical. 1980 saw the release of the following four films. Can't Stop the Music, Xanadu, The Jazz Singer, and The Apple. Uh, April, have you seen any of these? (laughs) Never even heard of the Apple. (laughs) Jazz singer, I've tried to watch. I can't even get through it. Can't stop the music you can appreciate because, you know, if you like the village people, but it's it was just a mess. I mean, obviously, Alan Carr put that together and, you know, Greece was so great. And then what happened here? Um, Yeah. And Xanadu, I, I didn't see that until later, which is very weird because my family owned a roller rink growing up and um you'd think i would want to see a roller skating a movie with roller skating but it just seemed really <laughs> weird to me um but but i also love jeff lynn and the yellow so like the music in it is great so i appreciate it now that i'm older but i couldn't get into it when i was young all right and that is our lightning round april thank you so much for indulging us in that little romp through uh through the year 1980 a great year for drive-ins a great year for genre movies but also you know some some pretty impressive prestige pictures that year as well all right before we sign off we're going to throw to our friend w axel foley for a quick psa Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. And April, remind us, uh, tell everyone again uh, what the movie is and where they can see it. And also, if you have any social media or any, any anything you anything else you want to plug, now is the time to do it. Yeah, so it's my new documentary, Back to the Drive-In. It's coming out VOD on March 14th. Um, So it'll be anywhere you can rent or buy a new movie digitally. So the Google Plays, Amazon, iTunes, all those places. And um, and it will be in some drive-ins and some theaters. Um, I don't don't have the list yet because a lot of them are just opening. But um, but yeah, that'll be fun. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jason Dash Bailey or on Instagram at Fun City Cinema. Mike, where can the people follow you? At Brainwashed Lib on Twitter. And Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 1980? I have to be a little bit indulgent and have a runner up this year, uh, but they're both uh, movies by the same guy. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> filmmakers, Les Blank, put out Warner Herzog Eats His Shoe. Uh, in 1980, which is a movie literally about director Werner Herzog literally going to Chez Panisse and cooking and eating his shoe because he yep. told Errol Morris that if Errol Morris finished his first movie, he would come to the premiere and eat his shoe. And then this psychotic German fucking follows through on it. It's a short <laughs> film. It's by Les Blank. And it's more about sort of Rules. why we make and love films and also why we love Werner Herzog. Uh, yeah. than anything else. But my favorite movie of 1980 is by the same director. It's called Garlic is as Good as Ten Mothers. Uh, and he, you know, his name is Les Blank. He's a real sort of fly on the wall type of director. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Garlic is as Good as Ten Mothers is like 
straight up in the Louisiana Bayou. A lot of it is about garlic, <laughs> but it's like it's also Sounds like a, a good movie. I want to look for this too. It's fantastic, and you know it is like deep Bayou. Like sometimes you actually need the subtitles to understand what's going on, even wow. though they are speaking English. Ish. you know but garlic is as good as 10 mothers is just an it's a documentary and it's just absolutely one of my favorite things to watch you can smell this fucking movie jason what is it. your favorite movie from 1980 i mean okay the 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 like the the academic answer like is raging bull which i do think is just one of the the great filmmaking achievements of all time and one of the best movies by martin scorsese my favorite director but like my favorite the one i will watch most is Hopscotch, is Walter nice. Matthau's spy nice. comedy Hopscotch, <laughs> which, and this is a recurring thing, was one of my dad's favorite movies. Um, it's so funny and great. It's not, it's more of a Walter Matthau movie than his like weird run of 70s action movies. Yeah. Like Pelham 123 and, you know, Charlie Varick and the Laughing Policeman. But it is a spy movie where he plays like a legit spy and it's a great spy narrative. Uh, it's based on a book by Brian Garfield, who wrote it after he was horrified by the film version of Death Wish. Right. So he, he, he challenged himself to write an action novel where the hero never used a gun and he doesn't. Um, but the, the personal thing that I love about Hopscotch is that my dad loved it so much and he taped it off of television. It was like the NBC Sunday night movie. So we watched it and like wore that VHS tape out. That was like the version that I knew. I only found out later that it was like a hard R because of the inventiveness of Ned Beatty's profanity throughout <laughs> the movie. He plays like the stymied, almost cuckolded, you know, CIA head in that movie. Uh, and this was back when they recorded like an alternate audio track for network television. And so there's all of this really funny, weird, colorful not profanity in the television version. That's the version of the movie that I first knew. That's hilarious. <laughs> the Criterion Collection, God bless them, put that as an alternate <laughs> audio track on the wow. DVD and the Blu-ray. So when I'm in the mood to like watch the movie the way my dad and I watched it, I can flip it over and listen to that version of it, which I love. That's beautiful. That's pretty cool. That's a good That's one. That's cool. That's a good one. All right. Thank you again, April Wright, for coming on the show. I really had fun. Uh, thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. It was a very good year.